0: Just as we were powerless to save ourselves, it's entirely a work of God, so we are powerless to bear fruit in ourselves. It continues to be a work of God moving through us. We can't try our hardest and strain our hardest to just push out some fruit on that vine. We can't do it. We have to be connected to Christ. You're listening to the Shoreline Church Podcast. My name is Pilgrim Benham, I'm the lead pastor of Shoreline. And in today's podcast episode, we hear from Pastor Micah, who is one of our elders at Shoreline, and he's gonna be teaching about Jesus being the true vine from John chapter 15. So open your Bibles, and I hope you enjoy this awesome message. All right, well, if you have your Bibles this morning, get them out. Please turn to John 15. It's a privilege to be able to bring the word to you this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17. Turn to John 15, verses 1 through 17. And we're standing this morning just in honor of God's word as we read together. Verse 1 I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and teach us as we look at these wonderful words that our Savior said so long ago. Lord, be our teacher this morning. Let your word go forth and change, convict, challenge, and encourage us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Let's consider for a moment the relationships we have in our culture. We've got a variety of different relationships, right? We have acquaintances, Um, People that we uh, know just a little bit, kind of on the peripheral. We have friends. People that we walk through life with um, that share in our joys and in our burdens. We have parent and child relationships. We have employer-employee relationships. And we also have husband and wife relationships as well. There's a number of different kinds. But we also see in scripture that Christ relates to us in a number of different ways. As we read through the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the cornerstone. We sang that this morning. Jesus is the foundation of our salvation. Uh, We also see that he is the head and we are the body. Christ is the head of the church. We are the body, we are his hands and feet. We also see some familial relationships with Christ. Husbands, we are called to love our wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And we also see that sometimes the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom. So there's some familial relationships as well. But as we come to this passage, we're going to see that he is the vine and we are the branches. And this morning, we're continuing in our series called Last Words. Um, It focuses on the upper room discourse with Jesus speaking in chapters 13 through 17. Although at this point, we know and probably know that that Jesus and the disciples were not in the upper room anymore, were they? Uh, We we know this from the end of the last chapter where Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. So somewhere between the upper room and the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus spoke these words. And some believe that uh, they were on the side of the Mount of Olives. And there was a vineyard there at the time. And so it was the perfect illustration for Christ to use. Um, Others thought maybe that they may be going by the temple, uh, which was in accordance with, with the law at Passover time. And as they were walking by, they would have seen the magnificent gates of the temple. And these gates actually at the time were a tourist attraction because they were these amazing gates that were made in Greece, and they were actually brought up from Greece and put in the temple. They were made out of bronze, and there was a golden vine that was woven through the gates. And the vine at that time symbolized the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. So let's just look at that for a moment. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 80, Psalm 80. We'll look at this, we'll look at a couple verses here. Psalm 80, and we're gonna look at verses 17, or not 17, seven through the end of the chapter, seven through 19. Psalm 80, starting in verse seven. Psalmist says, Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it. All that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. This is called a Psalm of Asaph. And it was the background of it was that it was written during the time when the 10 northern tribes of Israel were being carried off into captivity. And the psalmist knows that the nation of Israel has continued in sin. And so the Lord is sending his judgment. But he's begging on God. He said, God, act. Please restore your people. Restore your people. So we see clearly here that the nation of Israel is referred to as the vine. Another passage, which you don't have to turn to, we'll have it on screen, is in Isaiah chapter 5 of verses 1 and verse 7. Listen to this. Let me sing for my beloved my song concerning his vineyard. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So here we see Isaiah referring to the fact that Israel had had fallen away from the Lord, gone far from the Lord. Unfortunately, God's vine uh, it didn't produce good grapes; it produced wild grapes. And instead of following the Lord and producing godly fruit as a witness to the surrounding nations, it actually produced unrighteousness, and they joined in with the other pagan nations. So God disciplined the nation of Israel many times, but we know that the repentance, although it came, it was, it was temporary, it didn't last. And as we know, even, even when God sent his own son to the vineyard, what happened? They killed. they killed him, he was put to death. But as we come to John 15, turn back to John 15, um, Jesus continues to surprise his listeners, surprise the disciples by giving new meaning to uh, this great picture of the Lord and his people. And he's, by saying this, I am the true vine and you are the branches. So in this section, we're going to see a couple points. First, we're going to see that we are saved in Christ for life and growth. If you're taking notes this morning, it's in verses 1 through 3. Next, we're going to see that abiding in Christ will certainly bear fruit. Verses 6 through 11. And then finally, we're going to see a true friend. A true friend in verses 12 through 17. So let's look at verse one together. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So this is the last of the great I am statements in the book of John. There's seven of them. This is the last one. The Greek word uh, for true in verse one is Elathenos, which means genuine. It's the real deal, genuine. And so Jesus continues in this theme of giving new, more fully realized meanings to Old Testament themes. Previously, we've seen that he is the bread of life, the true bread of life. We've seen that he is the true light of the world. And then just recently, uh, in John 14, we saw that he is the only true way to the Father. And previously, Israel had looked at themselves as the vine, right? That's what we see in the Old Testament. But now he is telling them uh, that Israel is not the vine. Uh, Their identity as Israelites is not the main thing. Jesus is now the vine, and this would have shocked them. This is something, as Israelites, that they're going to continue to struggle with as well, because we know that in the early church in Acts, the Jerusalem council, they came together to dispel the notion, because there were some Israelites that were saying, okay, yes, we're saved through Jesus, but you have to join Israel. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow all the laws, So there is a contingent of Israelites that were always wanting to hold on to their identity as Israelites over and above their new identity in Christ. And in the book of Galatians as well, it's a book that we're going to be studying, Lord willing, later on this year. Uh, But Paul calls them back to the gospel. He says, why have you forsaken this gospel and gone back to the law? So it's something that in the early church that they're going to struggle with. But the important thing now is for the disciples and all future believers to be identified with Jesus. Our identity is in Christ. And that was was a big challenge to them at the time. And this is important, I think, for us to be reminded of as well. Because we easily separate uh, and break up into little tribes, don't we? And we say, well, I'm, I'm a Baptist, proud of it. Somebody else may say, no, I'm a Presbyterian, very proud of that. Um, so some folks may say, I'm a Calvinist. Uh, other folks may say, I am definitely not a Calvinist. Um, if we bring it closer home to us, we may say, well, hey, I have been part of Calvary Chapel my whole life. But someone else will pop up and say, oh, yeah, well, I was in Costa Mesa when Pastor Chuck was there. Um, and so, well, okay, you win, I guess, in that one. Um, but we easily, we easily break off and we identify ourselves into little groups, and there's all kinds of categories that we can put ourselves in, but our identity above all must be in Christ and his church. It's good to, it's good to be identified with, with true things, but we always, we don't want to make those the main thing. We want to make our identity in Christ the main thing. So continue on in verse one, we also see that the father is referred to as the vine dresser. And other translations, say gardener. Your Bible might say gardener. This is also a really interesting shift because previously in the Old Testament and in the parables, the father has been described as owning the vineyard, not caring for it, not the vine dresser. He owned it. But now he is the keeper, the farmer, the one who takes care of the vine. And Isaiah actually prophesied about this as well. He prophesied that Jesus would grow up before the Lord as a tender shoot and as a root out of dry ground. So the Father is the one who cared for the vine, and he's going to care for the branches, us as well. So let's look at verse two. Verse two says, "Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit." Those two little words "in me" are so important. Um, so many important things are bound up in those two words, like propitiation, reconciliation, redemption. In fact, you could say that the entire spectrum of salvation is is found in those two words. Because as we look at Scripture, we see clearly that there are those who are in Christ and there are those who are not. There are those who are uh, on the road to destruction and there are those who are on the road to life. And it's important to know this because when Jesus is speaking here to the disciples, he's speaking to and about believers about those who are already in me. He's not talking here about a person how a person gets saved. This is not a salvation message. Rather, it's about fruit bearing, about what happens after we are saved, the changed life, the new creation. And this word fruit, uh, if you have a pen, circle it, mark it, it's very important in this chapter. The word fruit is mentioned six times here in the first 10 verses. So he says that every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. What does this mean? Well, he takes it away uh, from fruit-bearing opportunities. And we're going to look at this more uh, when we get to verse 6. But the other work that the Father does here is prune, that it may bear more fruit. And the Greek word here for prune is kathiro, kathiro, which it actually means to cleanse, to cleanse. And Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 and 11, explains this well. On the screen, uh, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son he receives. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful, what, fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So just as a gardener comes and cuts and prunes the branches so they will be healthy and bear more fruit, the Lord comes and cleanses and disciplines us by sovereignly moving into our lives and to conforming us to the image of his son. It may be through trials to wake us up to sin in our lives. It could be removing things in our lives to bring us closer to him. And in serious cases, it could be by taking us out permanently and uh, bringing us home, He often works through others in the church, the Lord does. He works through our friends, He may work through church leadership to make us aware of the sin that is in our lives. And how we respond to the Lord's cleansing will really show us, I think, how close we are in our relationship with the Lord. If we are far away, if we have been sinning for a while, unrepentant, out of fellowship with the Lord, His discipline is going to affect us in a stronger way. It's going to be more painful. But if we are desiring to be close to him, to walk in the spirit, his discipline is gonna be received with joy and we'll understand that pruning process. Uh, Violet, our oldest, uh, recently celebrated her uh, 10th birthday and we had the privilege um, to take her out to the Tansky Horse Farm, um, her and a couple of her friends. And they had a great time out there. And Olivia, Olivia was just awesome. She is an expert at horses uh, and she... um, uh, carefully took the girls through, um, hey, how do you take care of a horse? Um, How do you act around a horse? What is a horse's temperament like? And then they got to ride the horse, and they just had a great time. But as she was explaining uh, the horse to the girls, something really stood out to me. And she was standing behind the horse, um, and she told the girls. she said, you know, you've probably heard that it's dangerous to stand behind the horse, isn't it? Because just in case the horse gets uh, scared or antsy or angry, um, what's he going to do? He's gonna, he might kick you, um, so you need to be careful. But she said, if you have to stand behind a horse, you want to stand as close as you can up to the back of the horse. Because in order for the horse to inflict the most damage, the horse has to fully extend its back leg. So if you're a couple steps back from the horse, then he's going to get you and you are going to be in trouble. But if you are right up against the horse, although he may try to kick you and it may hurt, um, it's not going to inflict as much damage. And so that just stuck out to me as I was studying this. I thought, hey, that's a great illustration. The closer that we are to the Lord, uh, the the discipline is not going to be as strong. But we are steps back from the Lord. Um, It is going to hurt and affect us in in major ways. So the Lord comes into our lives. He lifts us up. He cleanses us so that we may bear more fruit. And verse 3 shows us another way that he does this. Look at verse 3. He says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So he cleanses us through the word of God. And James did such a great job in picking out songs this morning. I will build my life upon the word. He is our firm foundation. 1st uh, Peter 1:23 says that we have been born again through the living and abiding word of God. And so as we look at scripture, we almost see a little bit of a double meaning because we know that we are um, saved by the word, capital W, the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us, but that we are continually cleansed and shaped by the word, small w, the Bible. And we should all know portions of Psalm 119 it just speaks so well to the words ministry in our lives. It says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? And of course, the one we all know, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If this was still like the early 90s or late 80s, and I liked Michael W. Smith, we would probably sing that right now, but we're not going to, so don't start it. Don't, nobody starts singing it. Um, this is one of the many reasons to study the Bible, to be cleansed. To be cleansed, we need to study it and apply it to our lives. So that's point one this morning: that we are saved in in Christ for life and growth. So let's look at verse four, and that brings us to our second point this morning: that abiding in Christ will certainly bear fruit. Verse four says, "Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine; neither can you unless you abide." in me. And here's the first time we see this great word abide. And this is the key word in this section. It's mentioned about 11 times. And the simple meaning uh, just means to continue, to continue with or to remain in. And so Jesus is saying here, in order to bear fruit, you must be in an active relationship with me. And I love the illustration here, probably because it's just so simple, but just A branch that's lying on the ground uh, will in no way bear fruit. It has to be connected to the tree. And this passage shows us a couple ways that we can abide in Christ. So, first, number one, we abide in Christ through the study of the word and confession of sin. And we saw this in verse three, to be cleansed by the word of God. And there's a story told uh, about Charles Spurgeon uh, that he was walking and he stopped in the middle of the street. He took off his hat and he started praying in the middle of the street. And one of the deacons of the church saw him doing this, and he asked him about it later. He said, Mr. Spurgeon, why, why did you stop in the middle of the street? And, and Charles Spurgeon said that, he, uh, that a cloud had come between him and the Lord, um, and he wanted to remove it immediately. So he stopped and confessed his sin right there. And this is a great reminder for us um, to keep short accounts uh, with the Lord and with others. Well, secondly, we abide in Christ by obeying him with joy. And we see this in verses 10 and 14, just skipping ahead a little bit. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We have the example of Jesus. Jesus. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So guys, be encouraged today. Be encouraged that when we submit and obey, it's not because we are under any threat of punishment, um, but out of love for what Christ has done for us. And there's a great parallel here. If Christ willingly obeyed the Father and went to the cross for us, how much more, how much more should we willingly obey our Savior? How much more? And remember, this obedience is the work of the Spirit in our lives. We're going to struggle. I mean, we struggle every week, don't we? But ultimately, we obey because the Lord has given us a new heart and a new desire. And also remember for what purpose Jesus is speaking to us today. In verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be what? Full. Say it louder. Full, exactly. This isn't, this isn't partial joy. This isn't a little joy. This is full joy. Do you know what it's like to have full joy in your life this morning? Because what Christ has done for you and because what he continues to do through you. I hope you have that joy. Let's grow in it together. Well, let's look at another important word, the word fruit. The word fruit. You can circle that, mark that. Verse 5 tells us when we imbide in Christ, we bear, it doesn't just say a little fruit, it says much fruit, much fruit. Well, what exactly is this fruit that the Bible mentions? Well, he, the Bible mentions a couple different things. Um, first, Paul mentions in the beginning of Romans, he mentions a harvest of new believers. Um, so part of bearing fruit could be seeing people come to faith as a result of our witness in our lives. Paul also mentions later on in Romans in chapter 6 that growing in our sanctification is part of fruit in our lives. So becoming more like Christ is that proof there's fruit in our lives. And also jumping to farther book a couple a couple books into the New Testament farther Hebrews chapter 13 says that praising the Lord with our mouths with our lips shows that there is fruit in our lives. And this is a great outward testimony. It really is. The believer that is quick to give praise to the Lord for his goodness among others. In the Psalms, we're called to give praise to the Lord, not just personally, not just through our own prayer lives, but it says in the congregation, with others around us. And I know, I'm sure you feel the same way, that there's that believer in your life that is so quick to praise the Lord and to give him praise. It's encouraging. It really is to be around those those kinds of folks that say we should desire to do the same thing, to praise the Lord and be quick to do it. But probably the most recognizable fruit, of course, is the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. If you know them, let's say them together. You know them? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Did you get them all? You all right? Yeah? How are those fruits playing out in your lives? Do you see them? Do you see them? I know we have to grow in them, but are they being displayed in your lives? That's the most common uh, fruit that we see in Scripture, is the fruit of the Spirit. And I like how the great Bible teacher, he's passed away now, um, but J. Vernon McGee describes this. Uh, He says, "...abiding in Christ will produce effectual prayer, perpetual fruit, and celestial joy." And we see the effectual prayer in verse 7 when Jesus says, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Our prayers will be effective. We see the perpetual fruit all throughout this passage. Abiding in Christ will bear fruit and more fruit. And then we see the celestial joy in verse 11 that we just said, that your joy may be full. And I love that word celestial. It's not a word we use very often, is it? But it, it speaks of this otherworldly, heavenly joy. I think, if I'm not correct, if I'm not mistaken, that the celestial kingdom, is it in Pilgrim's Progress? I don't know. I think it's that, that's what it's called. That's a great word. It describes our joy well, celestial joy. All right, let's keep going. Let's look at verse 6 together. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. oh oh You may be thinking, wait a minute, this kind of sounds like I might lose my salvation. Well, stop, stop wringing your hands. This could not be farther from the truth, my friends. Remember, this passage is not talking about salvation. It's talking about fruit bearing. And also remember what we studied a couple weeks ago uh, in John 6 and in John 10. Remember that assurance that we have when Jesus says, Whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. No one can snatch them out of my hand. What the Father has given me, nobody can take it. We know in Romans 8, right, neither height nor death, nor angels, nor any created thing, Not anything at all can separate us from the love of Christ if we are, like we saw in the beginning, if we are in him, if you're in Christ this morning. And of course, we know Ephesians as well tells us that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are kept until the day of redemption. And so... Jesus does say here, though, I mean, we have to address this. Jesus does say here that he's going to take away unfruitful branches. He's going to throw them in a pile and burn them. What does this mean? Well, it means that he is going to take us away from fruit-bearing opportunities. Uh, We all know people. uh, We've heard stories of, um, of people that have been set aside because of sin. They have been rendered ineffective. The Lord has taken away their ministries, because they have continued in sin. They have, not ab- they have not continued to abide in Christ. And physical death is also a possibility here as well. 1 John 5.16 says that there is a sin that leads to death. It's talking about, uh, he's speaking to believers there. And a Christian could go on sinning until God will remove him permanently from a place of fruit bearing. It's very sobering. Ananias and Sapphira in scripture could be, could be examples of this. But another passage um, that explains this idea well is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11-14. through 14. We have this on screen, looking at the works that we are doing for Christ. He says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So first of all, we see once again that Christ is the bedrock of our salvation. It's not anything that we can do. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test that sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So this person may get to heaven smelling a little smoky. Um, but he's not going to lose his salvation. It's entirely a work of God in our lives. Let's look at verses seven and eight together. Verses seven and eight. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And so this is an incredible promise for us, isn't it? Remember what J. Vernon McGee said that he mentioned effective prayer. Well, this is true, but it comes with a condition. If you abide in me, and my words, abide in you. Obedience and continual fellowship with the Father is a prerequisite for this. And Pastor Pilgrim explained a similar verse uh, really well uh, two Sundays ago. Uh, When we are walking... With the Lord, and when we are in communion with Him, we are going to be asking for and praying for things in line, in accordance with His will. And we're not going to be asking for health, wealth, and prosperity. Um, we're going to be asking for Him to work in us and through us. To Him alone be the glory. And we're going to be asking Him to provide uh, what we need. And our our pastor, our former pastor up in Pennsylvania, he I love what he used to pray. Often he would say, "Thank you, Lord, for always." providing our needs and giving us most of our wants isn't that true when we reflect on the goodness of the lord and so much that he has given us we are truly blessed we need to give him the praise for it not get caught up in materialism of this world and be seeking after these things but to be seeking after the face of christ for his glory that's the lord's goodness and providence in our lives it really is When we look and we consider, man, that is so true. The Lord has always provided for what I need, and yet he gives me so many good things. Well, we've already mentioned verses 9 through 11 a little bit. Um, These just continue to show us the love our Savior has for us and how that has come from his love and obedience to the Father. We have that great example. We know that one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy, we just said, and a fruit-bearing Christian is going to understand this and display this. When we think about joy, we often go to the book of James, don't we? And we, we quote, we say, man, consider it all joy when we go through various trials. But I believe that a Christian is going to display joy not, not just in the hard times, but in the good times as well. And you can, take this, <laughs> you can take this or leave it, okay? But I believe that a Christian knows how to have fun. A Christian knows how to enjoy life. Because he understands eternity, he understands the goodness of the Lord. And I'm going to just give you a warning this morning, and again, you can take this or leave this, this is not gospel, but beware of Christians who have no sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> I think something's off, I do. I think it's a little off, a little off, but you can, you can wrestle with that in your own heart. Um, but well, we, we should be displaying joy in all areas of our lives. So we see here in point number two that a Christian is going to certainly bear fruit. Because we are in Christ, because we have been made new creations, given a new nature, we will definitely bear fruit. We're going to struggle along the way. But a true Christian, if we look at a true Christian, is one that is bearing fruit. So finally this morning we come to our last point, the definition of a true friend, a je- definition of a true friend. And as we started, we briefly looked at the relationships that we have in this, wor- this world. And one of the most foundational relationships we have is friendship, isn't it? Be thankful for your friends in your life. One person said there's nothing better than a friend unless it is a friend with chocolate. That's a good friend. It's a good friend. Um, Helen Keller said that I would rather walk with a friend in the dark than alone in the light. Isn't that true? When you have a friend that can walk with you, alongside of you, that's amazing. And there are so many good quotes out there on friendship, but the greatest one comes from our Lord in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And guys, only the Holy Spirit can produce this kind of love in our lives. Only he can do it. The amazing thing is, is that Jesus took this further, didn't he? He didn't just go to the cross for his friends, but he went for his enemies as well. And he gives us the same uh, call and example in Matthew 5. He tells us not just to love our friends, right, but to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So in verse 12, he gives us the command to love one another. In verse 13, he gives us a test, an example of how that love is displayed. And then in verse 14, he makes an astounding claim. He calls us his friends. Amazing. One of the songs that we sing here at church that just um, gives me so much joy and blows me away every time, we sang it two weeks ago, Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. Love that song. And verse 15 explains this relationship a little deeper. It says that we have moved from being servants to being friends. He has opened up his heart to us. He reveals himself to us, and that's why he says that all that the Father has made known to me, I have made known to you, giving us, opening up salvation to us. And Abraham is a great example of this. Um, He is called the friend of God a couple times in scripture. James 2.23 says that Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Now, Abraham was not the first person to have a close relationship with the Lord, but he was the first person to be called a friend of God. And we know that it was through Abraham that God chose to set his plan of redemption in motion. So there's a great parallel here. So just as Abraham was called a friend of God through his faith, demonstrated through his obedience, so we too are called friends of God through our faith in Christ demonstrated by abiding in him. You see that connection? It's amazing. Abraham was God's friend. We too are called friends of God through our faith, demonstrated by abiding in him. And it's it's here we should probably make an important distinction. Our culture, our Christian culture actually, looks at our relationship with God often very casually. Um, There's corny songs like Jesus is a friend of mine, um, we are shirts that say that Jesus is my homeboy, he's my bro, uh, things like that. But as we look at scripture, we never see that kind of casual language um, about our relationship with God. And it's always God who is defining the relationship. It's God who chooses to say, I have called you friends. We, we don't even see Peter, Paul, James, or John, anybody saying in scripture, oh, Jesus is a friend of mine. God is my friend. They never say that. It's always God defining that relationship. God says that we are his friends. And so I think we need to return to the reverence, the fear, and honor that God deserves. Uh, Yes, let's rejoice. Let's be full of joy this morning because God has chosen to call us friends. But let's not pull him down to earth and rob him of his glory by turning him into our bro. Amen? All right, soapbox over. We can move on. Uh, Verse 16 says that just another, let's go back to that parallel of Abraham again. Just as God chose Abraham to be the father of many nations, so we have been chosen and appointed to go and bear fruit. Uh, The respected, well-known British pastor, G. Campbell Morgan, he said this. He said, he chose me, therefore I am his responsibility. That's true this morning. Over and over in scripture, we see God choosing people for his responsibility. Purposes. We've been saying that this morning. You predestined to adopt us as your own. Well, it continues with us as we have been chosen to go and bear fruit. And this fact should bring us joy. It should bring us joy. I know there's there's many folks out there that like to um, deride and challenge the doctrine of election, but this is this is truth, and it should bring us joy when we understand that just as we were powerless to save ourselves, it's entirely a work of God so we are powerless to bear fruit in ourselves. It continues to be a work of God moving through us. We can't try our hardest and strain our hardest to just push out some fruit on that vine. We can't do it. We have to be connected to Christ. Only he can do it. And that's why Jesus said back in verse five in this passage, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing, apart from me, you can do nothing. And Jesus underlines this section by, once again, uh, in the last verse, in verse 17, by encouraging us to love one another. He's saying, in light of these great truths of my relationship with you, the outworking of this boils down to love. It does. And as we move into some practical applications, I'm going to ask James and the worship team to come up at this point. There's a lot of practical applications running through this whole section. And when I'm studying a passage and I'm, and I'm considering, I'm thinking, hey, how does this play out in my own life? I look for the action verbs in the text. What action verbs are there? Well, there's five here. We see that we are called to abide in Christ. We are to ask whatever we wish. We are to keep the commandments. We are to love one another. And we are to bear fruit Five action verbs. However, I think that as we look at verse eight, verse eight really sums it up well for us. Um, so let's look at verse eight again. Um, first, Jesus says here in verse eight, by this my Father is glorified. And this is key. This is really key, guys, because uh, our whole purpose in life is summed up in this, that we are to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the purpose of of our life, If you're here wondering, man, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with my life, there it is for you. Glorify God, enjoy him forever. Everything else will get worked out. Jesus' ministry on earth was to glorify his Father, all the while abiding in the Father's love, as we saw in verse 10. So we follow Jesus' example this morning by glorifying the Father through our obedience and by enjoying him, by abiding in his love and the joy that it brings. The rest of verse 8 says that uh, we glorify God by bearing much fruit, and in doing so, we prove to be his disciples. Now, this doesn't mean, folks, this doesn't mean that somehow we have to prove to God that we are his. Other translations actually say showing, showing that we are his disciples. This is taking care of the moment that we repent and believe we become his But this has to do with the witness to the outside world and to our own hearts for our own assurance as well. It will be made clear to others that we are God's children. They will see the fruit in our lives. They will see, hear his praise on our lips, see our actions. And it's going to be confirmed in our own hearts as well that we are saved. Um, when When we can see that fruit being born in our lives when we can see our desires changing and forming, centered around God's word, that should give us joy and confirm that in our lives this morning. Even though we struggle, even though we struggle, we sin, what's your desire? What's our desire? To bear fruit, to be identified with Christ. We can, we can have joy in that. So to sum it up, let's as a church, Here's our, I just have one, one application point this morning to sum it up. As a church, let's glorify the Lord by obeying his word and allowing the Holy Spirit to bear much fruit in our lives, particularly in how we love one another. I love what our friend Narissa says to us, be the fruit, be the fruit. It's true. Pastor Pilgrim taught last week that we love, right, but not as the world defines love. Love is not just an ooey-gooey romantic feeling. Love says that we uh, encourage each other towards whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is noble, just, virtuous, praiseworthy. That is love. We love others by helping one another to obey and keep his word through instruction and loving correction. And we also love others by looking out for others' interests, right? Not just our own interests. When we are abiding in Christ, when we are enjoying Him, the natural outworking will demonstrate itself in true love to those around us. At our community group this week, uh, we studied the life of the great Scottish preacher, Andrew Bonar lived for 82 years, had an amazing ministry there in Scotland. And he said this, he said, love is the motive for working, joy is the strength for working. And that's so true. It's only for our love for the Lord that gives us that motive for serving him. But it's only when we have our strength coming from the joy of the Lord that gives us the strength for working. Well, Pastor Pilgrim's gonna be back next week and we're gonna see that the watching world isn't always going to appreciate the fruit that we are bearing, is it? In fact, the world's gonna hate us. What Jesus says, because it hates the Lord, ultimately. Not because it hates, they hate us, because they hate the Lord. But we can take heart because Christ has overcome the world, amen? Amen, let's pray together. Lord, we love you. It's a privilege to be uh, to bear fruit for you, Lord, in your name, showing love to those around us. We thank you for these great truths, these encouragement that we received this morning. That that you produce this fruit for us, Lord. When we are in you, Lord Jesus, that's the main thing we need to be concerned about. Are we in you this morning? In this, Lord, we will fail, we sin, we sin even daily. But Lord, in those moments, discipline us, chasten us, convict us, Lord, to keep us close to you. Lord, help us individually to keep short accounts with one another, to call others back. If we see others struggling, failing, sinning, help us to have the boldness, to lovingly correct, to bring others back through your word, Lord so that we will not be so far from you that you will take us away, take us out of opportunities, or we will lose our witness. Lord, keep us in your love. You know you promised to do that. Thank you for your great word that speaks to us this morning. Although it was said so long ago, it's still relevant and current and truthful for us today. It's in Jesus' name. All of Shoreline said, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Shoreline Church meets every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Lakewood Ranch YMCA. You can get more content and more information by visiting thisisshoreline.com. If you have any questions or any prayer needs, please don't hesitate to email us at info at calvaryshoreline.com. God bless you.